Good morning. It's been a little bit for me. I, uh, my dad insisted on, hey, let's take the whole family. We're going to go to Disney World because apparently we're all four years old. And, you know, this is like two years. I'm like, I don't know if I want to go. So he just buys me a ticket and like I'm stuck, right? Um, and so we go down there and, and, you know, we get to Florida within a day, uh, two days, maybe my mom slips. She's clumsy. Like, her whole family, they're very clumsy people. It's okay, it's not a sin or anything. It's just unfortunate. She breaks her wrist, she's in the hospital. Within another day, Kaylee Kiro Murdoch is, uh, I've always known as Kaylee Kiro's and they get mad at me every time I say that. Kaylee Murdoch, she's married now, um, has like a seizure and gets COVID. Then Tiffany comes home and she's not feeling great. She's got COVID and uh, Florida, just FYI, and if you're watching from Florida, move. Um, <laughs> it is, it's just swamps, and it's just like, even if everybody didn't get sick and die there all the time, it's like a sauna. You know, you get out the plane like, oh, oh. <sighs> it's a terrible place. It's a terrible place. I don't think God loves them. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, if you're in Florida, I'm kidding about that. Um, but I'm not kidding that it was terrible, so I had to, we had to rent a van, and I had to drive, Patrick and I drove Kaylee and Tiffany and myself and Patrick from Orlando to Washington with the two COVID people. You, yeah, you can't get much further away. I guess we could have gone like Miami to Anchorage or something, but it was, you know, 2,500 miles or whatever in this like van that we had to rent. And of course, they can't really get out of the vehicle because they've got COVID. The rest of us are trying to make sure we don't get everyone sick. So there's this line of COVID, you know, things all the way across the country. Anyway, we got back. Um, the night before we got back, we were in Wyoming. If you've ever been to Wyoming, you're one of the few that have. It's very, there's no one there. It's like four people there. Um, <laughs> And they still get two senators, pretty crazy. Two of them are senators, so the four people, right? And then one's a representative, the other guy's name is Steve. Anyway, so we're in Wyoming and, <laughs> and I start to feel sick. So I take the, now I've got COVID right before we get home. So I, we got to get the rest of the way home. Then I had to stay quarantined, which honestly, COVID's no fun. Quarantine's worse, at least for me, right? I like to be out, I like to be doing stuff, I like to, you know, be around people who are at my motorcycle, you know, just, you know, not be inside my room. Tiffany wouldn't talk to me, which is normal, but it was worse because <laughs> I needed somebody to talk to me. Anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, it wasn't just that I just decided to not be here, um, and I've really missed you guys, and so I'm glad to be back and uh, glad to get into the Lord. Yeah. It's always good to be together. Um, you know that I love studying the word with you guys, and so that's what we're going to do today. Um, I actually, my dad was wrong. Again, it's in the wrong spot sometimes. It's all right, guys. We'll get it eventually. Uh, my dad uh, thought I was doing the women one today. That's actually going to be next week. Um, and that's because I just felt as I was preparing the sermon that I have for you ladies, which can be intense, by the way, um, and it's not just for ladies. Men, you need to understand some of this too, just like they needed to understand something about you. If you don't understand women which is all of you, um, even some of the women, um, you, you want to understand this because as we deal with these things, the identity and the things we struggle with, it's important to know where we're coming from so we can empathize and love, love one another. Um, but we've been in this identity series talking about kind of, you know, we struggle as people to know who we are, to know what we're supposed to be doing. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? How do we know that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing? 
And we've done a couple of studies so far. Like I say, um, we're hoping to do at least a couple more after this uh, on women, on children. Um, and I may throw another a bonus episode in if, if, we, uh, if the Lord is leading that way. Um, but today I want to talk about something related to our identity that is incredibly important. In fact, I would say probably the most important thing for us as eternal beings who will be with Jesus Christ forever. And that's our identity as Christ followers. Who are we as Christ followers? And I want to take some time this morning to think about how to know that you're living the Christ life. That's what I want you to be thinking about and considering as we go through this. How do I know that I'm living the Christ life? There is a way to know if you are a Christ follower. There is a way to know if you're following Christ the right way. Um, Christians, though, have always sort of had a culture, right? Any group has a culture. It's kind of like it defines the things they do, uh, the way that they do stuff. Go, go to any part of the country, like Florida, and you'll find, like Florida's culture, I don't even want to talk about that. They're, they're weird. They've got people from, like half of them are from New York where it got too cold and they moved down there. The other half are like guys named Cletus who yeah, have a pet alligator. So, um, but it's a culture. It's a culture, right? Like we have a culture in the Northwest. Like most of you probably drink coffee and you could tell me about the kind of coffee you like and the beans and you could, there's a 17, 18 word thing that you say to the person at Starbucks when you order. Don't understand any of that, right? I'm just like, coffee, what did you think I was here for, right? Um, anyway, large. Anyone a venti? Don't know what that is. Just give me a large coffee. Please, let's not make this any more awkward than it has to be at this point. Anyway, but that's the Northwest culture, right? We've got our own stuff that kind of defines us, right? We wear flannel or, or vests and jeans and sturdy shoes so that we can, you know, hike around and, or pretend like we're going to hike around. I know we say we love it, right? But we're on the internet. We're, we're, but we have a culture, right? Christians too. Christians have a culture. Um, and it has evolved, I don't say evolved, it has changed some. Originally in the first century when the first people are becoming Christ followers, what you have is you have this group of people, hundreds of people who are going around saying, FYI, we follow this guy Jesus, he died, that was not good, but then we all saw him alive again afterwards. He rose from the dead. He's promised us eternal life. He saved us from our sin. That's who we are. Now, to the people around, like to, to you guys, it's like, yeah, that's, you can hear that in a lot of places. But at that time, that was just we, they were just weird. They were this weird little group at first, kind of like these people over here, their own little culture, right? In the Roman world, they'd meet together, they'd sing and study the, the Bible, and they'd pray together. Um, but they were countercultural. There was nothing in the Roman world that was like them. They were their own thing, and they were against the folks that were walking around in the Roman world at the time who were idol worshipers. You know, they were obsessed with uh, sex. They were obsessed with money and power. I'm really glad things have changed. Um, <laughs> at different times, they were seen as odd, and at different times, they were persecuted, killed, sawed in two, thrown into the lions boiled in, you know, oil. Uh, not fun. I'm glad we don't face a lot of that here in this country, although there are people who are facing that today in other places for being Christians, so it still happens. But they lived according to Jesus Christ's commands, and they were loyal to him and to one another. They, they did crazy things for the world of that time, like loving their enemies, helping the sick and dying, 
and the widows and the orphans, they treated women with respect as image bearers of God. Uh, just, you, you, I know for us, it's like, well, yeah, of course, because you are from 2021 and you understand that those are normal things. But for those people at that time, that was craziness. That was craziness, okay? The, the father, the man of the house had the power of life and death over his family and his slaves and his whatever in his home at that time to come and say, whoa, 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 no one has power over life and death but God because your life is in him and you're made in his image and likeness. That was crazy talk. So this was their culture, right? And because they were different and weird and whatever and sometimes persecuted and, and so on, they kind of had to make their own group and do their own thing. And they were known by certain things that they did and certain things that they said. That was their culture. And then they started to grow in number and grow in influence as the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrated the hearts of people. They didn't have a political program. They didn't have any power. None. But what they did have was the truth. And they had the gospel and they continued to proclaim it until at some point they actually, they actually had seen so many people become Christians or at least buy into the Christian worldview and story and, and moral structure that they actually gained political power. Several hundred years after Christ's resurrection, we have the Emperor Constantine. This is not going to be a history lesson, by the way, but it is fascinating to know how that happened and how 120 people in the upper room getting the, baptized by the Holy Spirit and speaking in different languages from that day to a few hundred years later, the whole world was following these people who at the time they thought were crazy. That is crazy. They were effective. But they started to have influence, and then that influence grew over time, and particularly uh, in the western part of the world, um, the Christian religion uh, gained intense power and could affect and even rule, in some cases, the state. And so... It was in that time that the culture of Christianity became something more like, well, you're a Christian because you're a German or you're a Frenchman or you're an Englishman or you're a whatever, because that's who, that's who we are, right? This is, our country is that thing. There was a state church. And with that, believe it or not, came uh, some people who came into power in the structure of the church at that time who maybe weren't Christians. Um, and they started doing some things that were extremely unbiblical. And so some Christians got together and had what we call the Reformation now. And that culture was a culture that said, look, we're about the Scripture first and not what that guy says. If what that guy says is against what the Scripture says, we're not with that. And so you have the Protestants who kind of come out of that. And then, unfortunately, for the Protestants, they didn't all agree with each other. And we have several uh, denominations in the Protestant world. But there was a culture at that time, once again, of sort of being against the way that things were going, being counter-cultural. That was what Christians were. Because of all that historical background and because of the, the degree to which kind of everybody sort of bought into a general Christian worldview, Christianity has had this profound influence in the Western world. And basically everybody, believe it or not, just basically everybody thinks about things like morality in Christian terms. The atheists, 
almost everybody. And what I mean by that is if you get into a moral argument with somebody, let's say you're talking about whatever, abortion, you know, the, the stuff that's hot, right? You get into a moral argument and you have this conversation, the person who's arguing with you is going to argue in terms of principles that we find in, in Christianity, in the Bible. That's how they're going to argue with you. They may be saying something completely different, but they're going to use an argument to try to justify that is from Scripture or, or from the Bible or from the Christian worldview. You say, hey, you shouldn't steal. They don't go, yeah, you should steal. Stealing is good. They don't say that. They'll say something. They'll be like, well, the Bible says that we should take care of the poor, and I'm poor, and that person's rich. Everybody loves Robin Hood, right? Like, they're bad people. That's why I'm able to take from them. Uh, whatever it is. Oh, I can steal music and movies and whatever because they have a lot of money, right? Not anymore, by the way. Um, that's not worked out well for uh, musicians. Um, but... The point is everybody just justifies, but they'll justify it with some sort of, look, God thinks that this and therefore that. Every political party uses the Bible. They all do. And in every case, I'm just like, when's the last time you've been to church? To like all of these people. But, they're, but they'll use the Bible. They're like, Jesus would be a, you fill in the blank, right? Independent, Democrat, Republican, whatever all you people are. I don't know. But that's what they'd say. Jesus would be that. Why? Because that has a powerful influence. In culture, because it has become the default for our culture. Now, it sounds interesting in a world that's so broken, but the fact is, is that is the way people think and that is the way people talk. To even argue with Christians, people will try to use Christian principles. It's just, it's crazy. But what this fact suggests is that although we are not and never have been a Christian nation in the sense of anything that we would find in here, right, that like somehow we were all following Christ and, and doing it the right way, that's never been the case. In another way, we are a Christian nation in the sense that Christianity defines the way that we think. It defines the way that we think. And because we are culturally a Christian nation, because people use these Christian principles to justify their behavior and ideas and whatever, whether they realize it or not, often they don't realize it. They don't even know what they owe to Christianity. They'll, they'll be talking negatively about Christianity using principles of Christianity. It's crazy. It's like if Christians were really Christians, they'd be helping the poor. It's like, where do you get the thing about helping the poor? That didn't come from, that came from the Bible. Like, it's crazy. Anyway, the reason I mentioned this fact is that because Christianity culturally has become so prominent, it has left us with some questions as Christ followers. And those questions are about what a true identity in Christ as a Christ follower looks like. There was a time in this country when it was pretty much simply assumed that if you lived here, you were a Christian. In 1948, one year before my dad was born, yes, he's that old. I mean, I'm, he can still get up here and everything. It's amazing. He really is. He's old. 1948, anyway, a year before he was born, 91% of people said that Christianity was their religious preference. 91% of people in the United States. Okay? If you saw a person on the street in 1948, you had a 9 in 10 shot that if you asked them, they'd say, I, my preference is Christianity. 9 in 10. All right. The culture was influenced. Now, 2020, that number has dropped to 68%. Now, I'm not saying it's my dad's fault. 
But the drop does correlate really strongly with when he was born and now. I, I'm just saying. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not his fault. He's not that influential. Uh, <laughs> none of us are, right? Uh, but the fact is, is that if we're going to think about what does it mean to be a Christian, we can't say, well, 91% of people were Christians, so what did that look like? That's what it looks like to follow Christ. That's not the case because in 1948, we had all kinds of problems. We had 91% of people saying, I prefer Christianity, and yet we had segregation, lynching, organized crime, substance abuse, prostitution, massive sexism, among plenty of other issues. But 91% of people said, my religious preference is Christian. So, the, so we can't go to them and be like, well, if we just lived like the people lived in 1948, we'd be okay. Because here's the deal. 68% of people still say Christians are, is, that's crazy to me. I walk around and 68% of people are not in a church in Clark County today. Okay. Unequivocally, unless something crazy has happened, not even close. I call Sundays in the Northwest second Saturday. Because when you go out, like on a Saturday and you're going out and you're going to the store and you're like, why are these people out? Get a job, right? Saturday. So they're not working. So everybody's out doing stuff and whatever. Sunday doesn't look any different. In certain areas of the country where it's more culturally Christian, you don't go out until maybe noon because you don't want people to know you didn't go to church. You don't mow your lawn before a certain time. Although that's going away too, right? And it's like, how would they know you were mowing your lawn unless they weren't at church also? They still judge. It's the South that I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking to, you on the cameras. Anyway. 68% of people in the U.S. say their religious preference is Christian, and we still have a society full of sinfulness, sexual perversion, substance abuse, violence. We have aborted hundreds of thousands of children this last year. And of the rest of the children that are born, 40% of them are born to a woman who's not married because men don't step up and take care of their children. But 68% of us say that we prefer the Christian religion. So there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. If we say that generally, by, by and large, this nation prefers Christianity, but then we look at the nation and we go, doesn't look like anything in the Bible, that means we cannot define what it looks like to be a Christ follower by the culture of the United States or of any of the European countries that still largely call themselves Christian. We got to look at something different because unless they're reading a different Bible, we're not looking like Christ followers at a 68% clip. If we were, things would be going pretty well. I don't know if you know this, they're not. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it look like to follow Christ? How, if our identity is in Christ, as his disciples, what should our lives look like? I think it's possible that we as Christ's body, as a church, have not been clear. We haven't been clear enough with those who want to follow Christ about what it should look like to do so. We're pretty good about, like, preaching the gospel. I think, I think we do a pretty good job of that, and I think we have done a pretty good job of that. Generally speaking, within the church, here's how to be saved. And we do an okay job with kind of like, here's kind of some of the ways that we do things. But how, do, do you, kids, you'd say a Christ follower looks like, and then name all the things that are definitional to a Christ follower. I don't think we've done a good enough job of doing that. I'm glad you're here today. We're going to talk about it. When I was uh, younger, my aunt and uncle 
um, gave me and Tiffany a car. Uh, it was a Ford Escort station wagon. Sweet. <laughs> it was a wonderful gift. We were a young family at the time. Corey was, was a baby. Um, and the car was pretty nice. I mean, it wasn't that old. Uh, unfortunately, eventually, the car broke down. I did mention it was a Ford, right? Um, <laughs> oh, come on, man. I got a Ford F-150. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I know. It's great. You love Fords. Anyway. The head gasket failed, and at the time, for some reason, I had some extra time on my hands, and I thought to myself, you can fix this. <laughs> How hard could it be, right? Well, it was hard. Um, I had never worked on a car engine before in my life. You know, I changed oil. I'd even changed brakes. Like, I was, I'm, I'm pretty handy, but... Not engine handy, okay? Um, and so I got in there and I just started unscrewing things, taking things apart, you know, kind of set them over here like so I would remember where they go. <laughs> After a day or two, I had taken the head, which is the top part of the engine, like the block and the head. I didn't know that when I started, I don't think. Um, I may have known that. I took it off the car, so there it is, and there's a mess in there, okay? Like something had broken off in there and had gotten down inside the... Uh, you know, the piston was all jacked up and torn up. And I thought to myself, I should probably fix that. Nah, I'll just replace the head gasket. So I did. So I put the head gasket, which is a gasket, on there. I start screwing things back in. Most of the things, half of the things, okay? There were some things left over, I think, you know. That pro but come on, it doesn't need those things, right? I put the timing belt back on there. That's what goes kind of between the two pieces. Didn't do that right. Apparently, you have to have that in a particular area. Who knows? I don't know any of those. <laughs> Started that baby up. Now, if you have never heard the engine in a car where I've replaced the head gasket, <laughs> be glad about that, okay? I don't know a lot about cars, but I know they're not supposed to sound like that. Um, sound like a box of rocks kind of inside of a steel drum going around. Um, even for a Ford, this was bad, okay? Um, I'm a Chevy guy, okay? That's, and that's just because I happen to own Chevys. We've owned Fords also. The Escort, we had, Tiffany had a Mustang back in the day. So don't email me, please. Anyway, I learned an important lesson. Cars have a design. They have a purpose. And if you don't follow the design, you won't get the purpose. If somebody took the time to say, this is how the engine works, and this piece goes here. And you go, no, I'll just leave that piece out. Or I'll put it there. Or I'm pretty sure this won't go in here. If I go hard enough, hammer, 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 you know, we'll make it work. That, that's not the design. And when you don't do the design, you don't get the purpose. Okay? You're made with a purpose. You have a design. You don't walk according to that design, you don't get the purpose. That's what being a Christ follower is like. There's a purpose and a mission for the Christ follower to see fruit in your life. If you follow the design, you're going to get the purpose. You're going to see the fruit. If you don't follow the design, you're going to be a Christian like that Ford Escort wagon going nowhere fast and sounding like you're about to fall apart. And you've seen this. I've been this Christian. Just thinking I could, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can do it, you know, my own kind of way. Does not work. It's worse than that Ford Escort wagon. It's just terrible when you don't follow the design. So there's a design and a plan for Christ followers. We need to know what it is. And we need to live it out if we're going to see the fruit.
we kind of have to plan for our purpose. If you know you have a purpose, you better have a plan. A plan that's going to help you follow that design to get that purpose. Now, I will tell you, confession time, I'm not a good planner. There are some ways in which I can plan, long-term stuff, whatever. There's things that I can do, but I'm not a good planner. Um, I'm sometimes so bad at planning that it's literally sinful. I've actually had to repent before the Lord, ask people for forgiveness because of the pain I've caused other people by not being a good planner. And then I need them to do something, and they're like, you didn't plan this well enough, and now I'm very nervous and crying. Daniel. No. <laughs> He's not. And I'm like, you're right. I did a terrible job at that thing. So I'm kind of a runner and a gunner. Like, you know the college football quarterbacks that like super fast and agile and like just super athletic and they just use that, they're in college, and in college you can kind of just be that guy and score the, the touchdown because you just kind of like, the play falls apart and you just make it happen. I'm exactly like that except the fast and agile and athletic part. <laughs> but I, I'm like that in the way that I sort of do things and plan. I like to kind of see what's gonna happen and then figure out which way to go. Problem is, when you're working with a team and other people, that doesn't work well for them. And for these guys, those kinds of quarterbacks, they get into the NFL, and sometimes they just don't make it. These incredible athletes, because what happens, they get there, and they get a playbook about this big, a plan. And they go, I'm just used to being fast. I don't want to learn all this. And then they, you know, there's, there's crazy stories of guys that got millions of dollars because they were so good. They get to the NFL, they can't do it. They don't plan for the purpose. The NFL is all about planning. It's much cleaner, it's much more planned, the plays are much more complicated. Same thing for us. We got a plan, we got a playbook, right? We got a purpose. When you don't plan, when I don't plan, the result is rarely going to be as excellent as it can be with a little planning. A little planning for purpose. But in order to plan, we have to know what we're trying to accomplish. What are we trying to accomplish? Well, as Christ followers, good for us providentially, we have a clear and important calling and mission. You may have heard it before. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's on the wall outside. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There are three things here that define sort of the job of the Christ follower. Three things that we have to do. Now, we're going to be at 30,000 feet with these things. We're going to get a little more detailed. But the first one is this, get saved. Get saved. If you have not called on the name of the Lord to be saved from your sin, if you have not made him Lord, said, Jesus is Lord of my life. I will do what he calls me to do. If you haven't believed on him for eternal life because you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, do that now, today. Don't wait. There's no waiting. There's no tomorrow. Now is the time for that. That's what it means to become a disciple, right? We're supposed to make disciples. That's the first part. Becoming a disciple, a follower, a learner, a child of God, a Christ follower. That's how you start. Next, you get baptized. You've seen us do that here if you've been here very long. You're going to see us do it again, hopefully, real soon. We've got some more folks that want to get baptized. Baptism is our way of identifying ourselves with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's our way of declaring to all of creation, 
to every person, every spirit, everything in the universe, that we are Christ's. We are his disciples. So we have been saved and we follow Jesus. That's what it is. It's our way of declaring that we've gone from death to life. It's an act of obedience. It's a work of faith showing that we've received God's grace. That's the next thing that we do. You know, when you join a football team, you get a uniform. They give you a uniform, unless you're the water boy, and then they, don't, they didn't give me one. But I made my own. It was, no. They give you a uniform, right? Why? Well, it helps to be able to tell whether which team you're on when you're out there. And when you go out onto that field and you got that uniform on, everyone in the stands, everyone on the other team, everybody knows that guy's on that team. Why? It's got the name of the team. It's got the logo, your number, the whole thing. They can tell who you are at a glance because you're wearing the uniform. Getting baptized is like that. It's like that. You're declaring to all creation that you're in the family of God. You've put on the uniform. You've said, I'm identifying with God's team. I'm his child. So that you can be identified that way. And then the next one takes a long time. Get discipled. Get discipled. Discipleship is a process. Discipleship is a way of life. It's not a thing that you go to. Like I go to this Bible study for some discipling. Discipling is happening all the time. With everyone, every other believer that you're around, you're always discipling one another. The scripture says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, right? That's what, that's what we read. That's what we're talking about. And let me be clear. We are not talking about teaching all that Jesus commanded. Sounds really similar. Teaching all that Jesus commanded. That's not what it says. It says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You can literally know the whole Bible by heart and not be a Christ follower. You can know all of it. I'm not teaching you the commands. I'm teaching you to observe the commands. That's your job, to teach one another, to learn yourself, to observe all the commands that Jesus Christ has commanded us. It means we actually do what he says. We actually do what he says. He's truly Lord of our lives. We are actually ready to die and live for him in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. That's, that's us. That's our thing. That's our call. And this is why he gives us the assurance at the end. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Why? Because we need him. Because we need him. We can't do it ourselves. Can't do it under our own power. I, can't, I cannot follow all of his commands in my power. I'm weak. I'll fail. I'll fall a lot. But in his power, I can follow his commands. He's with us. Listen, he tells us he's given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he's authorized you. He's got authority. And then he says, you go. What does that mean? It means he's taking the authority that he has and he's deputizing you. He's putting a seal on you in the Holy Spirit and saying, now you go in my authority and do these things. Do these things. That's what a Christ follower is. You're not, just, you're not just passive. You don't just come here, you know, fat guy talks for a while, you know, this guy over here jumps around and does whatever, and, and then, you know, my dad ambles up, you know, it's 1949, he's born, he's an old guy. Anyway, you don't just come and take that in and go home and be like, yeah, that's my job as a Christian. That's it. Now I'll just live the rest of the week, and next week I'll go do that again. You are authorized to go to do, to raise your families, to preach to your neighbors, to live the life that he's called you to live. You 
You can't define Christianity and what it means to be a Christ follower by what anybody else says. We can only define it by the word of God. People say things like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I try to be a good person. And I try to kind of do more good than harm. At least I'm better than that guy. Or I got saved when I was a kid at VBS. I've never done anything with it. I don't, my life doesn't look anything like a Christ follower, but you know, I'm a Christian. Or my uncle Bob was a pastor, so I'm saved. Or I've read some of the Bible. Or I like this one. I understand what Jesus was really about. Fill in the blank with whatever their favorite thing is. Jesus is really just about this. If you can just do this, then you're a Christian. Eh, not the way it works. Not the way it works. You can say whatever you want, but a Christian, a Christ follower, does what he has commanded. That's what we do. You do not define what it looks like to be a Christ follower. The word of God does that. You are allowing this to transform you, meaning you're not there yet. This is transforming you to be more like Christ. If you think you've got it figured out, and you've got kind of your own recipe, this is what it looks like to be a Christ follower, and it's not what the scripture says, you're wrong. Man, I don't mind telling you. Because I am too, unless I'm following this. Someone watches your life, they need to see the definition of a Christ follower. And if they don't see a person being transformed to be more like Jesus, then they're not seeing a Christ follower. And they're not going to be drawn towards Christ. We have a spiritual uniform. And I'm not talking about baptism here. I'm talking about the one that you put on every day to follow Christ. As you die to yourself, as you take up your cross, you put on this spiritual uniform. Ephesians 6, there's Bibles in front of you, by the way. If you don't have a Bible at home, um, take one of those with you. That's our gift. You don't owe us anything. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word of God in your home. But they're there. It'll also be here on the screen. This is Ephesians 6. We're going to start at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, that's brothers and sisters, it's all of you, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. What are you doing when you get up in the morning? Armor. Like, you ever, you ever seen Batman? No, we don't watch movies like that. I only watch the one, God's not dead or whatever. No, you watch Batman. You've seen Batman. He's got the suit sitting there and the thing. It's just this sweet thing. And he comes in, you know, I'm going to put this on. I'm going to go do that. He's got his thing. You've got that. You've got that spiritually. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Who, who is running around in the world causing trouble? The devil. Who have you already defeated in Christ? The devil. He's got nothing on you. But what do you need to do? Put on the whole armor of God. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. When you're out there and you're thinking, this world is going bad because of, and then you can name somebody, you're wrong about that. It's not that person. What's behind all of that are powers and principalities. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's who we're fighting. We've already won, by the way. So put on the armor. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. How do you know you get the armor on? Well, let's walk through it. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Okay? You don't want your pants to fall down. Got to put the belt on, okay? You're going to put that, that belt of truth on. How do you know if you're wearing it? Well, are you a liar? Ask yourself that, and don't lie to yourself about it. You tell your husband or your wife little white lies to avoid conflict, you're a liar. I'd like to make it easier for you, but it's not easier. You're a liar if you do that. You tell your boss little white lies about being sick when really you just want the day off, you're a liar. Do you seek truth? Do you study to know truth? Do you want truth? Do you want your life to be defined by truth? If so, you're putting on the belt of truth. And you need it. You need it for the fight. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, do you live a righteous life? Do you desire holiness and purity? Or do you compromise when you really want to do something that you know is a little shady? Do you want righteousness? Do you want to live in righteousness? If so, you got that breastplate of righteousness. You want that on. That's the thing that's going to protect you, right? Your righteousness protects you. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you declare the gospel of peace that God has made a way from death to life? That in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection... There's power to be saved from your sin, that people can have peace with God, that instead of being his enemies, we can be his children. Is that what you're all about? Is that what's it's on your feet, right? It's what makes you stand. It's what makes you firm. Is the gospel part of your life? Is it part of the way you talk? Do you think about it? Do you think about your neighbor? Does a passion burn in you to see other people saved? Put the gospel of the preparation, put the preparation of the gospel of peace on your feet every morning. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Do you have faith? Do you believe that God will do what he says he will do? Does that define your life? Are you informed by hope in your own future, your future resurrection to eternal life? Is that what drives you so that nothing can scare you? Second Timothy 1.7 tells us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Does that describe your life? Or do you fret? Do you worry? Do you become scared or outraged with every threat you see? Are you letting the fiery darts hit you? Or is your shield of faith strong? Let me tell you something. If you trust God, if you trust God, nothing that is thrown at you can harm you. You cannot be drawn into fear, timidity, if you trust God. Why? Because his promises are clear. If you believe that they're true, you've got nothing to worry about. I'm not saying you're not going to die. You might die today. We might all die right now. Comet coming down and hit us. Are you afraid of that? Are you going, oh, now I wasn't even thinking about the comet. Now I've got to think about the comet. Listen, <laughs> you don't have to be afraid. You want to quench the wait, devil's shooting these darts. Oh, I'm going to make this one scary. I'm going to get this. And you're worrying about that and worrying about that and worrying about that, making this decision and that decision and whatever based on fear. If you've got that shield of faith, it's like, psh, 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 psh. please, come on, player. You've got nothing. You've got nothing because I don't have to be afraid. 
Because I have faith. I trust God. And the sword of the spirit. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The helmet of salvation. Hmm. What's protecting my head? What's protecting my mind? The helmet of salvation. You know why? Because I think about it. Mm, I love it. I love my salvation. Why? Not just because I'm saved to eternal life. That's sweet. I love it because God saved me. Because I know what it means to have been lost. I know what it means to be a wicked, sinful, evil, selfish man and have God come and get me. And that is right here, the helmet. That's guarding my mind and my heart because I trust in it. And because I'm so grateful for it. Are you living a life thankful for salvation? Do you wake up and go like, hey, there's some cruddy stuff right now, but you know what? I'm saved. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You want to do some damage? You need this guy. You need the scripture. Do you know it? How's your Bible reading going? Are you faithful in it? Are you learning? Can you quote the verses you need to quote in the times when you face trials and troubles and difficulty in life? Can you quote the verses you need to quote when you're talking to that person who needs Jesus? If not, pick up that sword. Sharpen it up. This is our uniform. The whole armor of God. How do you know that you're suiting up when you see the fruit of this armor in your life? How, what does a Christ follower look like? Someone walking around in that armor. It's going to affect the way you think, the way you talk, the way you treat people, the way you behave, the way you work, the way you are in your marriage, the way you are in your friendships, the way you are with your children, the way you are with your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whatever it happens to be. If you have the armor of God on, someone can look at you and say, that's a Christ follower. We need to know what that looks like. We identify Christ followers by certain characteristics and character traits. Now, it's 1113. I am on page 9 of 18. So... You know what happens when I'm, I can't be here for a couple weeks? I'm just like, I've got to give it to them. They need it. I've got to give it to them. I haven't had enough of it lately. So here's the deal. Um, we're just going to keep going. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to stop here um, because the next thing we're going to do is, is kind of walk through in much greater detail the things that, and, and please bring a notepad or use the notes of your phone next week because I've got 10, 11, 12 things that I want you to write down so that you can constantly be assessing in yourself, does my life look like a Christ follower? Meaning, ladies and gentlemen, the women one's going to be at least another week after that. But hopefully I won't get sick again, and I'll be here next week, Lord willing. I, listen, let me just say a couple things before I close. It's only 11.14. We're okay. <clears throat> God's called me to do this as he's called you to do that, whatever it is that he's calling you to do. And it is my passion and my deep burning desire to see those of you who are not saved get saved. You have no idea the joy that's waiting for you. 
It is also my passion that those of you who are saved will grow. I want to see you powerful in Jesus Christ. I don't care what's going on out there in terms of this. If you will be faithful and you will live the life of a Christ follower, not only has Satan got nothing on you, the world's got nothing on you, but if you truly want to see change, you will not get it in any way other than seeing people's hearts change. And there's a variety of ways that that happens. One really important one is that people have a really great BS meter. If you say I'm a Christian and your life looks like theirs, they're going to go, why would I care about that? They aren't doing any better than I am. If you live your life constantly struggling, constantly in fear, constantly whatever, why would anybody want to be a believer? Now, let me say this. You probably are going to sin. Praise God that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you may look at each other and start to assess. Let's not do that. I mean, if you're in a relationship of, of accountability with somebody, that's great. But that's not your job because here's the deal. You always have to ask yourself, what did this person look like a year ago? The question for me is not, are you all perfect? Well, I'm sure not. So if you're all perfect, you don't need me and God needs to call me somewhere else. My question is, are you better today than you were yesterday? People, they, they think, oh man, I'm just I'm kind of a disaster still and I struggle and I'm whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm so happy with you because you're struggling less. Because last year it was, you know, however much heroin a day and today it's only a couple joints whatever right like i'm not saying people are like oh so we can do the no. no listen listen <laughs> don't be ridiculous my point is people are coming from wherever they're coming from from whatever their background is and what we want to see is progress the worst thing for me is to come out here and pour my heart out hopefully in the power of the holy spirit from the word of god and watch someone's life that doesn't change. I, I mean, that's, it's sort of at one side, it's a personal thing. I'm asking you, I'm exhorting you, grow. On the other side, Christ is asking you and he's exhorting you, grow. And it's not just because there's some sort of like, hey, let's see how good we can get. He wants to know you. He wants you to fulfill your purpose and your identity in him. You can only do that if you follow the design. And it's not overly complicated. It's difficult to do, mostly because we have such a hard time trusting him. Because he'll give us all the power to do it. The difficulty is that we just keep wanting to default back to driving the car. He's a better driver than you. Even of a Ford. He is... <laughs> he's in charge. He wants you to live that way, the way it's been designed, so you can have this incredible, powerful relationship with him. Submission to Christ. That's what's hard. The rest of it, he takes care of. It's a submission part. Let's be those people. I see what God's doing. It's amazing. I see the people that he's bringing into this church. 
who you get to love, those of you who have been around a long time, there's new people here for you to love. Take that opportunity. Get to know the people who have been coming in. Love them. Those of you who are new, you get to be part of something that God's doing, changing lives. This is, this is an important place. And when I say place, I mean us. We're an important group. You know how I know? Because Christ said we are. He said we're his body. Let's change. Let's grow. Let's see more. Let's say, do it again. Do it again, Lord. Keep doing it. Let's live that life for him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every single child, every woman, every man in this building, everyone that's at home watching or will watch later, everyone that calls on your name, everyone who considers themselves called to this local expression of your body. Lord, we know we're unique as individuals and we're unique as a church. The things that you're calling us to are different than the things you're calling other local expressions of your body too. But God, well, can we do it, please? Please give us the power to do it. Please let us submit ourselves to you. God, this week, let's put on your armor every day. And when something comes at us, let us go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm saved. I trust you. I want to preach the gospel. I want to know the word. And let people look at us and go, now that, that's what a Christ follower looks like. Let's not be like the world. Let's not be like the whatever percent of people claim they prefer Christianity. Yeah, I prefer a lot of things. God, I want to live as a Christian, as a Christ follower. I want to be in you. Lord, we're in eternity already. We're in this first part of it. This part's rough. Better things are coming. But I have joy in you now. I pray that for my brothers and sisters. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who's never taken the step to follow you, Convict their heart now. I pray, Lord, I ask you for that. Your will be done in their life. If there are people who need to make that decision to get baptized, I pray you'd help them to do that. If there are people who need to start thinking about whether or not they're walking as a Christ follower, whether or not they're growing, I pray you'd help them to think about that. Jesus, I love you. In your name, amen.